Hello, and welcome back to the Natalie Smith Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome back to my podcast. I really want to thank you for listening. It does mean a lot to me. And happy March. Spring and summer is coming. So I hope that you are having good weather and everything is going well. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about how to warm up for your workouts and like how to build a warm up, what you should be doing for your warm ups, and also what deloads are and how to know if you should take them, when you should take them, etc. So keep listening if you want to hear that and thank you again. So warming up before a workout is something that I think a lot of people get wrong and don't fully know what to do. Like, I mean, a lot of people kind of just use stuff that they learned in gym class. Like, they'll just swing their arms a little bit, touch their toes, and like, good to go. That's it. And and then on the other end of extreme, some people will, their warm-up will be like a 30-minute yoga session. So... Neither of those are what I would recommend or what is necessary for your warm-ups. And, but I do think that doing some form of warming up is going to be beneficial for 99.9% of people. Um, it's going to help you get the most out of your workout, prevent injuries, just feel good, move well. I know it's kind of like a boring part. It can be really tedious and you're like, I just want to get to my workout, but you don't need to have a super long warm-up in order for it to be effective. What you want is just for your warm-up to be strategic, for it to have a goal, specific goal that will help you in your own workout. And warm-ups, you know, they can just be five to ten minutes. Like, they don't need to take that long as long as what you're putting in your warm-up is intentional and good. So the first step to a good warm-up is going to be dependent on the person, whether or not you use this, but it is called self-myofascial release. And basically that's just kind of like a fancy way of like massaging an area, kind of reducing pain or tightness in that um, area, smoothing out the tissue. And, you know, there are tools like this, foam rollers, lacrosse balls, those are forms of self-myofascial release. So... A big misconception that people have around foam rolling and stuff like that is that like basically you'll roll out and your muscles will just not be tight anymore and you'll just be recovered and it's just like this magic basically. And that's not actually true because when you roll out a muscle, that release is only temporary. Your muscles can get tight again. So It's not something that, like, I would say everyone has to do, like, you have to foam roll three times a week because it's going to make this huge difference. It more depends on the person. Like, if you have an area that is super tight, then this is going to be really helpful for you. A lot of people will have, like, tight hip flexors or maybe tight lats or um, something that tight hamstrings, whatever it is, and that can take away from your workout. If you have super tight hip flexors, super tight hamstrings, maybe you can't get as deep in a squat or maybe it hurts. So rolling it out can be super helpful because temporarily you'll be able to get into that position and it won't feel it won't be as painful and then over time when you continue to work on your mobility, your stability, 
those positions will be more comfortable and you'll be able to get into them more. But that rolling, <laughs> rolling those muscles out, doing that self-myofascial release can help you get into those positions in the meantime while you work on that as well. It's kind of like a band-aid approach, but that's definitely beneficial because like I said, if you have super tight areas, that will definitely help. You don't need to roll out your entire body though, like unless your whole body is super tight. But like I said, find what areas are really tight for you and focus on those and do that first because then when we move on to the mobility and stability, you'll also be able to get deeper in those positions and be in less pain in those positions. But, you know, you can use a lacrosse ball, you can use tennis ball, foam roller, whatever it is that you have and do that first if you have an area that is really tight. And then next, we're going to move on to mobility. So this is, I guess, somewhat controversial. A lot of people say now, like, you don't need to do any form of stretching before your workout. But I would say for most people, like, let's think about it. Most people have really bad posture. They sit at a desk all day, and they're just not that mobile or stable. Depends on the person. So mobilizing your joints and being working on that before your workout can help you to get the most out of your workout. Like I gave the squat example with the foam rolling. If you don't have enough ankle mobility, enough hip mobility, getting into a squat is not going to necessarily be possible for you. So working on that over time is going to help you be able to get into these positions more comfortably and be in less pain. So I think that doing mobility drills before your workout is a really good idea, especially because most people don't really do that much of that. Like most people are not, you know, doing these full recovery stretching routines all the time. So because it's kind of can be boring, but doing that before a workout is a great way to get it in and to help you get the most out of your workout. If you are able to improve your range of motion a little bit before you start working out, then you'll be able to move better during your workout. So it will help you get better results from that and it will help you feel better. And you also want to make sure that you're choosing your mobility exercises carefully. Like you don't need to do an entire, like I said, yoga routine or something like that. Just focus on, okay, what muscles am I going to work today? I am going to mobilize the joints that are going to be used in those exercises. So like if I'm, if it's squat day, then I'm going to do some ankle mobility exercises because squatting requires a lot of ankle mobility. I'm going to do some hip mobility exercises, super important one, pretty more obvious one. And I think that's helpful for a lot of people. A lot of people have tight hips. Um, some thoracic mobility, which is your upper back. That's something that not a lot of people would think about for squatting. But if you're doing a back squat, you do have to get your hands behind you. And that takes extension from your upper back. So doing some of that. And then that's really the main three that you would want to focus on if you're doing a squat warm-up. I'm not going to be doing like a full stretching routine. We really just want to focus on, okay, what am I going to be using today? I'm going to do mobility exercises for that. Maybe if I have a certain area that's really tight, I can work on that. But it doesn't need to be a whole other workout. We don't need to make it more than what it needs to be. And that's going to depend on the person. But like I said, it's 
doesn't need to be super excessive. It's really about just being intentional with the exercises you are choosing and making sure that those have a purpose. And if you would like examples of warm-up exercises, number one, I have a lot of mobility exercises posted on my Instagram, Natalie Smith Fitness. You can scroll or you can DM me and I can send those posts to you. And I'm also working on a warm-up guide that I'm going to put out so you'll be able to build your own warm-up or follow a warm-up and have those exercises right where you need them. Moving on to step number three is stability. So now that we have gotten more mobile, we're moving more freely, we want to stabilize that range of motion so that because when you're lifting weights, that requires a lot of stability. You have to be able to stabilize yourself. You can't just be super limber. You have to be able to control it. So adding in a stability exercise can really help with that. It can help you keep that kind of lock in that new mobility that you have just worked on. So adding in a stability exercise at the end is a great idea. Um, one that I really love for leg days is squat to stand. So that's kind of hard for me to describe. If you, you know, search that up on YouTube, you'll find it. Or you maybe on an upper body day, that would be some band work, some band pull aparts or some scapular wall slides to help with that shoulder stability so that your shoulders are safe and locked in. And then you can get on to your workout. So first is self myofascial release wherever you need it, then some mobility exercises, and then a stability exercise to kind of finish it out. Usually this takes me maybe five minutes, maybe even less. Um, you know, you just need a couple of mobility exercises, maybe three to five, and then one stability. Okay, so after you're warmed up, moving on to your workout. Now, there is going to be some form of warming up here as well if you are lifting heavy at the beginning of your workout. So usually in a workout program, you're going to have your compound lifts, the exercises that work the most muscle groups at one time, and that you're going the heaviest at the beginning of your workout. So you also want to start with a lighter weight and work up to a heavier weight for those types of exercises. So on a back squat, on a deadlift, on a bench press, on an overhead press, you want to, if you're going to go heavy on it, like you're doing, you know, two reps, three reps, four reps, five reps, whatever it is, you want to start at a lighter weight first. If you go straight to a heavier weight, Mentally, you're probably not going to be in it. You're way more likely to injure yourself. Your form might not be right, etc. So you definitely want to do warm-up sets first. So this doesn't need to be like super, doesn't need to take a super long time. Like you don't need to go like 50, 55, 60, 65, 70. You can take bigger jumps, but you do want to start at a significantly lighter weight and work up to your working sets. This is going to look different for everyone, but I'll just give an example. So let's say you're doing a 205 pound deadlift. That's gonna be your working set. So maybe first you just do 45, just the bar, and then maybe you'd go to like 95 pounds, then maybe 115, 135, 155, 175, maybe 185, maybe 190, and then you're going to go up to your heavier set. And you also wanna make sure you're resting in between these sets. So when you're at 45, 95, 
115, you definitely don't need as much rest because that's significantly lighter weight, relatively speaking. But once you get heavier, you do want to make sure that you're resting in between sets so you can, you'll be recovered enough to lift at your working weight. And again, this can be kind of tedious, but it is really necessary because going straight to the higher weight, you're not going to be as warm you're not going to be as mentally prepared and you're just going to be so much more likely to injure yourself. So don't skip warming up for your compound exercises. You're going to be better off for it and it's just going to be, it's really necessary. So it's something that a lot of people skip and it does, and doing that you will have negative effects from it. So you don't only need to do warm-up sets though for your heavy compound exercises. You don't need to do warm-ups for your bicep curls, for your lateral raises, even really after your main lift. So once you've gotten that main one or two compound lifts out of the way, you don't really need to be doing any more warm-up sets unless maybe you're like recovering from an injury and you're just really trying to work up to it. But generally, that's the one where you really need those warm-up sets on from there you don't need them. So that's kind of good news. You don't have to do it for every single exercise, just those exercises that are heavy and that you're really focusing on doing lower reps, focusing on getting stronger in them, definitely. So now that we've talked about warm-ups, I'm going to move on to the second topic for today, which is deloads. So deloads, I feel like, are not talked about that much in the fitness industry, but they can be important. So a deload is basically when you take a week of training where you're either lifting significantly lighter weight or you're not lifting at all. And this is a technique that not everyone needs to be used, but it can definitely be applicable to certain people. So the reasoning behind a deload is if you are consistently lifting heavy, consistently putting um, effort into your workouts, you are going to be fatigued. Your body is going to be tired. You're going to be fatigued and your performance will eventually decrease at a point. Your energy will decrease. Sleep might be disrupted. It can cause a lot of different things because lifting is a stress on the body. It's a good stress, but it is a stress. And when you're consistently putting stress on your body, you can burn out eventually. Deloads are where deloads come in because they, you know, can help prevent that. They give you a break. They give you a mental break, a physical break to recover. So then when you come back, you're ready to put effort into it and keep progressing. The reason that deloads aren't necessary for everyone though is because a lot of people are not truly being consistent with their workouts. A lot of people miss workouts here and there or maybe they go on vacation one week and so they miss their workouts. And all of that's totally fine. It's just that those are kind of like your built-in deloads. So if you are missing workouts, if you're not being fully consistent with them, and you know, or maybe you go on vacation every few weeks or whatever it is, then you already kind of naturally have those deloads in your life. And you probably don't need a deload since you're not consistently putting enough stress on your body to require one. However, for athletes, for people who are consistently lifting heavy, who don't skip workouts at all, who are even, you know, if they're training for a competition or something like that, deloads are going to generally be necessary. 
because like I said, you're putting a lot of stress on your body. You're consistently doing that. You're lifting heavier. So that recovery is going to be necessary. And you don't want to take a deload like just when you are completely gassed and exhausted and just absolutely feel like you need it. You want to take a deload before that happens so that you can prevent that from happening and then continue progressing after the deload. So there's not an exact time frame that you know, you have to take it, but you can take one every four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. It kind of depends on how well you recover and also how heavy you're lifting. But you kind of have to use that feedback. Like if your strength is decreasing, if you're constantly, if your energy is going down or if you are just really stressed out or feeling burnt out, then a deload's probably a good idea. Or if you feel like you're about to get to that point, that would be when you want to take one. So it can be around that four-week mark, six weeks, whatever. Some people maybe just want to keep lifting so they don't ever feel like that. If that's you, you want to schedule those in so that you will for sure get them in. One way that you can do it is if you follow like let's say a new workout program every four weeks on the first week just lift significantly lighter weight so you're kind of getting used to the new movements and you're just getting into the groove of it so maybe on that first week you'll lift like 60 70 percent of your one rep max and then increase the weights from there that way you're having that recovery week kind of built into your workout program but like I said, there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. So for some people, maybe you just go really hard. So you need a week of complete rest from lifting. Other times you can still lift, but you'll just be lifting really light. So like 50, 60% of your one rep max in order to recover. And you're still getting some movement in, but you're just, it's not as strenuous as before. You don't have to be on complete bed rest. You can still go for walks, even do some cardio, whatever you want, as long as you are just lifting less weight and less heavy. And then once you're done with your deload, you can go back to your regular routine and start lifting heavy again. They're really just important for that recovery, for injury prevention, for preventing burnout, and just for helping you be able to put more into your workouts when you get back. So like I said, they're not necessary for every single person, but they can be necessary for other people. It totally depends on where you're at in your fitness journey. I hadn't taken them for a while, um, but now I'm training for powerlifting, so it's super necessary for me to take one. I'm not missing any workouts. I'm lifting heavier every week. So I had one a couple weeks ago, definitely needed it. And But before in my training career, like I would miss workouts here and there or I would go on vacation. So it wasn't that necessary and I wasn't doing as much heavy deadlifting and squatting and benching that I am now. So you just kind of have to see if it is really necessary for you or not and assess how you feel. That's really important is to go by what is what are you feeling? What's your biofeedback? What's your body telling you? And you can learn a lot from that. I hope that this podcast was informative and that it helped you in some way. Thank you so much again for listening. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out. And I hope that you have a great day. Talk to you soon.